This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. So tune in and talk it out. With me, Brent Poland and Adam Spence. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, hopefully, all our technical issues are dealt with. <laughs> we're just having a nightmare, aren't we? Seems better than last week, but uh, we're, still, we're still surviving. Um, what a week. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Morning Star reports on claims being made by the Union Unison that school support staff are using their own money to help pupils and families cope with crippling living costs. A survey of more than 6,000 workers, including teaching assistants, caterers, cleaners and librarians, reveals that many are helping students buy food, uniform items, shoes and stationery. The findings were published to coincide with the Union's annual celebration of school support staff known as stars in our schools. The survey also indicates that 98% of those questioned are concerned that their own pay is not enough to cover the spiralling cost of living. One in eight workers say they have used food banks within the last year and 27% have taken second or even third jobs to help make ends meet. 50% of those polled also said they were actively seeking other jobs in order to achieve higher pay. In Scotland, the EIS Union has announced 16 more strike days planned for next year, as it continues to put pressure on the Scottish Government to increase pay. The action will take place over 16 consecutive days in January and February, with teachers in two local authorities walking out each day. The first day of strike action was held on Thursday the 24th of November. A further national strike day is planned for the 10th of January for primary, special and early years establishments 
and the 11th of January for secondary schools. Unions stated that further action was required because of a lack of willingness to negotiate by government. In related news, an estimated 70,000 university workers embarked on strike action over pay and working conditions. Those striking included researchers, academics and administrators, as well as caterers, cleaners and other support staff from Unison and Unite Unions. The university and college unions say that staff are at breaking point due to poor pay, working conditions and job insecurity. It is thought the industrial action has affected as many as 2.5 million students and is being reported as the biggest strike in UK higher education history. Further action is planned for next week. The strike action is being supported by the National Union of Students, but Robert Halfen, Minister for Skills, Apprenticeships and Higher Education in England, described the action as highly disappointing and urged all sides to work together to reach a solution. Staying with higher education, Universities UK has released a statement in response to speculation that the UK government may look to reduce international student numbers. It comes after Downing Street said PM Rishi Sunak is considering a variety of options to control immigration, including looking at the issues of student dependence and low quality degrees. The comments followed data indicating high net migration up to June 2022, with foreign students being one of the biggest driving forces. Vivian Stern, MBE, Chief Executive of Universities UK, said, Cutting international student numbers would run directly counter to the government's strategy to rebuild the economy. She went on to say that international students make a net positive contribution of at least £26 billion per year and sustain jobs in towns and cities around the UK. The full statement can be found on the University's UK website. Over the last few weeks, we've reported regularly on the World Skills competition, and this week the results of the UK national finals were revealed. FE Week carries full details of the story, but the results were broadcast from Channel 4's Steph's Packed Lunch studio. Steph McGovern announced over 200 bronze, silver and gold medal winners across 63 categories. In total, 217 young people were recognised, up from 186 last year. The competition highlights the vital role of colleges and organisations offering apprenticeships in growing a high-value skills economy, as well as supporting young people to achieve excellence in their chosen field. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's the longest, darkest term. It's cold, it's wet, you go to work in the dark, you come home in the dark. Is there any tech out there that can help us get through this term? Of course there is! Meditation is known to give you a healthy mindset, and the knock-on effect from that is better well-being. The Muse headband can help you on your mental health journey by bringing meditation into your daily routine. It monitors your brain activity during meditation sessions, which you can view using the Muse app. The headband itself uses a sensor to provide feedback on how your mind works as you meditate, ensuring you keep your mind focused and on meditation itself, not exterior problems or thoughts. After your session, the band uses the data collected on your brain activity to provide advice on how to control your breathing better and reach your calm space 
during sessions. Impact on the pocket is big, with this device weighing in at over 200 pounds, and I'm not sure it'll help you block out any wet break times, but it might be something to consider for when you get home. Okay, meditation may not be your bag. How about being able to get to sleep faster? And I don't mean the go to bed and be asleep before you hit the pillow. I'm talking about trying to get back to sleep when you wake up in the night and your brain starts racing. Definitely something for the more sensible budget. At 30 to 40 pounds, the Dodo is a little device that claims to be able to get you to sleep in eight minutes. It uses light to encourage deep, calming sleep. With a bit of further research on a popular shopping site, I found out that over half the reviews said it worked for them, and a few reviews that were negative seemed to lack perseverance. Want a free way to just vent? Instead of inflicting your day on colleagues or loved ones, why not make a journal or blog? Keep it to yourself, or put it online for the world to see. Obviously, you may not want to identify yourself in a public forum, but having a good old rant is known to make you feel better. You never know. You may even find a solution to the problems you're having while reflecting. There are lots of free blogging tools out there or even create a profile or group on social media. Get it off your chest. As always, I'd love to hear from you. Do you have any tech for well-being? Let us know at TTR2022. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back. Uh, Hopefully all our technical issues are dealt with. Uh, we had a quick ch- change of laptops. That was the reason. Um, if you are having any, hearing anything kind of weird or echoey or squealy, please let us know. Um, but hopefully, we can get on with the show now without any kind of technical issues. I think I definitely need a uh, meditation well-being band uh, during these sessions, Brent. Um, oh, how's your week been? Well, I finally got to plant those three hundred and twenty threes, um, which is really, really good. I really enjoyed that. That was something that was quite interesting to do. And what came to the thought, and, and, and the thought was that the children, they didn't have the skills to be able to hold a shovel, uh, hold a grake, hold any sort of, you know, utensil. And they just weren't really, I, I thought, capable. And, and that sort of filtered into what we were, we were discussing today. And it was really interesting. I ended up, you know, half the trees the kids planted, I ended up then having to plant. Yeah. And, and I thought that was... That was quite interesting that they were able to not actually follow my instructions um, of what what I was looking for them to do, and that that was basically that I would prefer that the children could they weren't capable of following instructions, and they weren't capable of, of having the life skills I thought they would have, and that those life skills would have been had they done any gardening, had had, had they actually done any sort of manual manual labour. And I was thinking when I when I was their age, I was out gardening from seven or eight years old, or out, you know, in my primary school would have taught me a lot of those skills. And I think about my primary school education, the life skills that I was taught, tie dyeing and, and art and music and culture. I, I was given a really good education at primary school. And if somebody at you know age thirteen had said to me, "Here's a shovel and plant a tree," I would have probably known what to do, and I would say my peers would. So it was a bit of a, an eye opener into the culture shock of actually the students who did know what they were doing had been to scouts they had that cultural capital they had those life experiences because but they were few and far between so i almost had to stop and say this is how to plant a tree this is how the tree roots works and it was almost like a biology lesson a geography lesson uh, a gardening lesson 
so by the time we actually got to planting trees you know we only got one tree planted and i wanted to get two planted so it was an interesting mm. insight and it was i thought it was useful um as a sort of we need to do more of this and, and it feeds into what we're going to talk today about yeah, definitely, yeah. what skills do our kids need so yeah and also thinking more about the the future of education more generally um we're reading this week the um the future of uh, skills education skills education 2030 the futures we want uh, published by the oecd and in their forward they they pose a couple of good questions that can lead us on to today's show uh, what knowledge skills attitudes and values will today's students need to thrive and shape their world and then i think the second question we want to kind of go on to is how can the um instructional systems, I guess our schools, um, help develop those skills, attitudes, values uh, effectively. I think that's kind of a really important thing to think about is is obviously they go through the system, they go, they go all the way through uh, from reception all the way through to year 13, most students now, and are they actually kind of got the skills that we, we want them to have? So we're just going to play a, a short clip from the... Um, it was the Young Parliament, wasn't it, Brent? That was, that was, that yeah, it was the Youth Parliament, and it was uh, it was an individual speaking in the Youth Parliament. Um, there was a, a, a sort of comment that was made, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. And, and I stood as a general election candidate in 2019, and I remember standing in front of uh, a local secondary, uh, sorry, uh, sixth form college, and it pretty much was just this what this young person says was exactly what I was saying to these young people about what we're teaching them about how we're teaching them for what future we're teaching them and I am so much on young people's side that I don't think they ever get asked you know everybody keeps making decisions about young people but forgetting that their education is their education system and and they're the key ingredient they're 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 in some ways the customer and, and yet, it, in business, I mean, the things are moving towards, you know, market forces and, and everything being a business. But our customers, i.e. the children, are never asked. And I think this is a really insightful and, I think, very passionate speech by a young person who's going to make, I think, an absolute salient point about their education and how they don't feel that their education is actually preparing them for their future. And, and they get a standing ovation in the youth parliament. I think it's uh, it'd be worth it worth having a conversation if anyone wants to call in anybody wants to have an opinion on this i'd be more than happy and adam and i'd be more than happy to have a conversation around it but i agree with them i really do and i know some might not but i am literally word for word agreeing with this young person um and it makes me very proud um and as a former citizenship coordinator it used to be my subject citizenship back in 2005 to 2011 and then it kind of died to death. I used to love doing this type of stuff, getting youth parliament and young people involved. And it was you know, part of the the, the, the the mantra that was then of, of trying to get more engagement in democracy and society. So let's have a listen and see what you think then, guys. I'm Izzy, a youth MP from Wigan and Lee, and I can recite the quadratic formula. F equals minus B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC over 2A. That flashcard was stuck on my wall for three months leading up to my GCSEs. Engraved into my memory, ready to recall and apply to a question which may or may not come up on my maths paper too. Funnily enough, it did come up on my paper, and I was prepared to answer it. However, there are a whole host of things that I have never been taught. Things which will never be on an exam, and that no amount of revision notes, blue tacks on my wall will prepare me for. 
The education system is supposedly created for young people. So please, listen when we say it is failing us. We are picked up, put down and strapped into a never-ending conveyor belt of academic testing. For years we've been calling for a curriculum for life. A curriculum which will see us leaving school with a greater understanding of the world around us. We are pleading for more emphasis on employability, communication skills and personal well-being. Isn't the foundation of education creating well-rounded, well-informed young people ready for the future? So why do I, after spending 14 years in countless classrooms, feel so unsure about what's to come? Young people are more than just letters or numbers that they see on a piece of paper in mid-August. We are not a percentage of A-stars to C's. We are not evidence in an Ofsted report. And we are not a pass or a fail. The pressure students are under to perform is excessive. With the 2015 reforms in particular seeing an increase in content and more emphasis on examinations. Memorising has become a synonym for learning. And mental health has suffered as a consequence. Well-being must become a priority, and nurturing the development of young people as individuals should be the aim of education, not exam results. So no, I don't know how to maintain a good mental health. I don't understand how to pay tax, and I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. But go on, Madam Deputy Speaker, ask me, and I'll tell you all about the quadratic formula. Okay, so I think that that clip really um, puts everything in mind for me today about that, you know, what are we preparing our students for and what are we um, doing for their futures because I know that's the bit that really motivates me. Um, I'm largely teach kind of sixth form, largely teach um, BTEC. So I'm always thinking about kind of contextualization. I'm always thinking of um, how how to prepare our students for the future. So I'm um, but um, the OECD come up with like three challenges in their reports. Um, one, which will be close to your heart, Brent, around um, the environment. Um, climate change and depletion of natural resources require urgent action and adaptation. You know, it, it was mentioned in the autumn statement, but I've looked, obviously I've spent this week reading the autumn statement in more detail with some economic students. I can't find anything kind of specific to kind of uh, come back come back with on that, although it keeps being mentioned and the stuff in COP keeps being mentioned all the time by our politicians, leaders. Um, there isn't actually anything kind of concrete in there that can lead to a kind of policy formation as of yet. Um, so I'll come back to you on that in a minute, Brent, because I know you're... Um, that's your bread and butter, the environment, and um, you know, be interested on your thoughts. Um, the second challenge is around the um, economy. You know, we all know about um, the scientific knowledge we need to know, but there's also a big um, gap that needs to be filled filled with our um, financial uh, knowledge as well. And I spent had a, a great uh, Wednesday um, with the uh, Young Enterprise Money team. And they did a fantastic conference, really trying to develop, a, looking at develop financial literacy uh, in the curriculum. I think that's so important. Um, but uh, more to think about kind of how data is used and how students look at uh, data, uh, and particularly kind of and cybersecurity and lots of things around um, financial institutions needs to be developed in our students. Um, with that, I also speaking to friends in the city. 
I know that, for example, behind the scenes of banking, they've already started to invest a lot of money into things like blockchain technology uh, for that as well. So that all needs to be kind of uh, developed uh, through the education system. And then finally, um, there's going to be this kind of social change that happens, um, not only around the world, um, but, al but also in the UK, in terms of the social cultural diversity and how we kind of reshape that um, in our communities. Um, so that's the kind of broad spectrum of what we need to look at, and it's absolutely huge. And um, currently, as that very articulate young lady was saying in the Youth Parliament, you know, what is our education system currently doing, and what are they um, being prepared for? Um, so if you want to uh, come in there, Brent, um, if we have a look at the first challenge on this report around the um, preparing our students to tackle uh, some of our uh, climate sustainable uh, you know issues that are kind of coming up in, into the future um, you know, how, how do we how does that kind of come into the curriculum or is it already or is there, is there anything there or already it's, it's tokenism yeah I mean it's a students that certainly like to go into and they get they get learning geography about you know learning science but that's the thing they learn stuff at school but they, they, they walk out of the classroom and, and they see the complete opposite. So it's like we don't see good modelled behaviour from the people in charge. They get such contradictory messages. They get the textbook learning. Oh yes, we know climate change is this. We know fossil fuels are that. But they don't see the buy-in from the people actually teaching them, and equally the buy-in from the schools teaching them. So they hear all about how bad you know certain dietary requirements are. And then they walk into their their canteen. They have a full meat diet. Or they know all about flooding, and yet their local council's building houses on a floodplain. So there is a lot of cognitive dissidence with young people where they get told one thing, and the first opportunity they see to apply it, it's never applied. And I think that's it's contradictory. We had a prime minister, for instance, who was saying about follow the rules, and he broke the rules 14 times. And that's the problem with young people. If you're going to do something, you're going to stand behind it. You, you've got to teach them, but also model what you want and, and we have far too many bad role models in the children's lives that a lot of the time you could put something in the curriculum but what's the value in it it's literally values and virtues isn't it you know I've taught environmental stuff for years I've, I've taught citizenship PHSC I've, I've taught sex education I've taught these children as much as I can physically possibly teach them but unless society is willing to change what are we educating children for and what worries me is, it's all about the money now. Everything's just boiled down to the money. Their university degrees, it's money. It's all very cynical. It's all very game-playing. And you hear that, you know, if you don't like your job, just get a better-paying job. And that's not what we need a society to be. Education's functional. You think all the way back to where education should have been at the very start. Education was first done because people put pressure on. They wanted the children to be educated in order to provide a function. It was survival. Yeah. And in just a revolution, it was survival because you needed, but it's also good business because, you know, uneducated workers weren't able to work complex machines. So when you look at our education system, it wasn't set up to benignly help the masses. It was set up cynically in order to literally make sure that business people made more money. Yeah, so if, so if, we, if we pursue the business uh, model, because that's kind of, if, if that's, the, what we need to follow to get real change um, isn't there a kind of business case for developing environmental skills sustainable skills 
um, costs are going up. We've got a huge energy kind of crisis. We haven't yet sort of got our own energy security in the UK. Um, you know, we are heavily reliant on other countries, as has been shown over the last couple of um, over the last couple of months with the Russia-Ukraine uh, war. Um, so, is, isn't there kind of an, um, a business case here for students to leave school um, with a way of developing um, sustainable environmental processes to put into the businesses they're going to work for? Well. We could say to our children to be sustainable, but the marketing and the advertising of the world they live in is driving towards buying a house, buying a car, get into debt, buy, get a job, pay off your university debt. We want them to buy houses when people are older than them, get locked them into a system which is completely unsustainable. Mm. And they know this. There's a massive disconnect in the generations now from young people. And, and I think the UK is going to suffer from a massive brain drain. Mm. It's going to suffer from a massive brain drain. And I can say this from, a, from an Irish point of view, because this is exactly the brain drain that happened in my society in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. The irony is, you, you sent me over about the, the population in Ireland is going to be mm, 10 million that's right. in, in less than 12 years because the standard of living has increased exponentially because they've embraced technology, they have an economy which is moving towards the cyber. You know, Microsoft has got something like 80% of all its products made in the Republic of Ireland. And they changed their education system accordingly. And there's the key word, change. The last change that was in the education system was regressive. Michael Gove has children writing essays who can't, don't need to write an essay in the future. I mean, what do they need to do to write an essay in the future? They're going to be working on tablets and laptops. Yeah. And yet I look at my curriculum, it's, it's all about memory tests. That's how I was taught in the 1980s and yeah, 90s. Yeah. That's not even the best of the children. Because they could go into an office. What do they need in an office? They need competency, confidence, skills, yeah. research, research skills, critical thinking. Our education system is geared up to some 1950s kind of grammar school-esque sort of world that doesn't even exist any longer. Meanwhile, countries like Estonia are out-competing British students yeah. because the changes that they made have really actually benefited the young people. It's league tables, it's standardisation, and simply doing something more often does not increase the quality of it. And that's what we're doing. Rogue learning, gaming theory, the rogue algorithm during COVID yeah. proved the point. Mm -hmm. Our examination system is not fit for purpose. Our education system has been one big giant experiment from all political parties who keep bringing in new theories, never letting them settle, new theory, never letting them settle. Mm. But the heart of it is the child. And what the heart of it is, we need to be teaching our children for the future that doesn't exist. Automation, for instance, where do I see any reference whatsoever in any curriculum or careers advice that says, don't be a taxi driver in the future? Because why? It's not any, any a problem with taxi driver. That's going to be a job yeah. that won't exist. In the same way that I wouldn't say that somebody be, you know, you're holding a video camera in the 1980s. Now people people have video their own weddings. There's jobs that go out of date yeah, yeah, yeah. because the technology develops. And our job is not to educate children for now. It's to educate children for a future that doesn't exist. And there was a really good quote I seen a couple of years ago saying, "Don't cheat." You know, the best jobs of 2010 weren't invented in 2006, right, yeah. and we don't know the technology of the future or the problems of the future, so therefore teach children how to solve problems yeah. rather than, than try and, and sort of teach them about knowledge, because they can find out in a nanosecond the knowledge. So why is it important that they know this knowledge? Yeah. What is more important is that they know how to find it, and I think more importantly, knowing 
reputably whether that is good knowledge or yeah. bad knowledge. That's yeah. critical thinking. That's right, yeah. So that, that just brings me on to this list that um, Indeed have put together of the 12 skills that they think um, will make students employable. Uh, but I guess it's not just about being employable, it's, it's also linked to their well-being as well. If they feel like they're uh, putting something into society as well. There's a great book um, and TED Talk and I think Google Talk as well by uh, Richard and Daniel uh, Suskind. Um, if you look up the book, I'll, I think I've posted it already on Twitter, but you can pick up the book, uh, The Future of the Professions. And it goes through lots of professions, including some of the ones you mentioned, but including some of those professional uh, jobs, such as lawyers, accountants, and that type of thing, about how they're being automated. Um, we often think automation is that kind of the robot doing the, 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 the factory work. However, algorithm, algorithm and these kind of um, you know, uh, data collection uh, type, type roles um, so, so they, they've highlighted 12 points uh, one is critical thinking which you've mentioned problem solving yeah um, and it also says there for, for problem solving important for both studying and for practical reasons uh, motivation um, how to actually motivate yourself is a kind of uh, interesting well, self-discipline self-discipline yeah so how to kind of how to push yourself uh, to, to kind of do things uh, flexibility yeah um, I think um, you know I've, I've certainly mentioned before, you know, certainly my, in my last job, did I kind of stay there too long? Should I have been more, kind of more agile to get the kind of skills that I needed? A lot of young people seem to kind of move around very quickly in their jobs. When I was, certainly the advice I was giving my parents was get a job, stay there for 30 years. Well, look and, what we're doing right now. Yeah. When I think about it, I mean, yes, I've stayed in the same job, but even in that job, I have had six different subjects I've taught. Yeah. Being a head of department of three different subjects and being out of my comfort zone on numerous occasions so even staying in the same job you can take on different roles yeah. I think flexibility brings me to that word of evolution I'm a big fan of the Darwinian evolution but not the survival of the fittest and I often say this to the children it's not I think that's a misquotation it's the ability to change and adapt, adapt and if I have to say that, yeah. one criticism of the British economy and even I think Britain as a whole its inability to change and adapt is costing it big time. Yeah. And I think when you look at those countries like Estonia, the Singapore's, those countries have adapted their education systems to suit their needs and pragmatically ditched those things which are ideologically out of date. There has been far too much waxing lyrical rose-tinted glasses to the good old days. I think, unfortunately, people need to have a real politic conversation about where we are in the world and also where our children are going to be because they're going to vote for their people. And I'm, I'm only predicting what I can sense from a ge geographical point of view based upon everything I know about, about the world, about migration, about people, that many of the children who I'm teaching at the moment, their fathers or grandfathers came to this country because there was opportunities in evolution. And as soon as that stops happening, I think we're going to lose our brightest and our best. And I think when you look at a lot of the wanted down under and you see other countries, Britain is now educating some of the best young people in the world only to lose that mm -hmm. skills and talent base to other countries who have better opportunities. Yeah. And we all have friends yeah. it's true. who have left in search of, they think, a better life. And that's human nature. Yeah, yeah. And unless we find a way to keep our young people here, and that means adapting and evolving and making the country a little more youth friendly, then I think that's what's going to start to happen. Our brightest and best will just simply say they're fed up and off they go. Yeah, yeah. I think we also need to acknowledge there that we have a 
a, a massive issue in this country with the you know, mental health epidemic and we in this in, in in schools as well and and flexibility and the the ability to adapt and change and feel comfortable with me making mistakes and kind of moving forward um you know i'm not saying kind of it's going to fix a problem but it certainly kind of could give students the confidence maybe uh to uh, be a bit more as you said adaptable at certain situations but that's that, life that chances yeah and, our, and too often in our in our country too many of our children don't have the same opportunities they get one chance they get they don't get as many life chances based upon their postcode mm-hmm. for some children education is the only way out yeah. and those children have got maybe one or two shots at it and if they don't get those exam results it's very hard for them they don't have the cultural capital they don't have the social mobility their parents can't buy them i mean i know this one happened to me my parents didn't have the money to buy me a car when i was as a student or a teenager. I only passed my driving test in my 30s. Because what did you need to pass your driving test? You needed money. I didn't have the money to, to pay for a driving test. So when I come out in the labour market, when I finish university, I'm up against people who had better cultural capital, more opportunities, who've been driving a lot longer than me. And a lot of the jobs I looked for required that I had a driving licence. Yeah. So there already is a discriminatory, you know, a hidden discriminatory. I didn't have my driving license because I couldn't afford the driving yeah. license because my parents couldn't afford to drive. And why would I have driving license anyway? And there was no chance of me ever getting a car on the road. Yeah. So straight away, the labor market discriminated against me, even though my degree would be the same as somebody else's. I've had a friend who has been in television. He's exactly the same issue. He had to take every contract coming up in television, whereas some of his peers, whose parents would have enough money to back them, they could take whatever contract that they want and have four or five months off work and be looked after. And this is the problem with life chances. Our social mobility is not what it should be. And education is supposed to be the great leveler. It's meant to be the place where you get the, the same opportunities. But I think those opportunities and judging from everything that's going on, and again, the evidence there during COVID was stark, the digital, digital divide. Yeah. Some of our children have no access to the internet. And we only found out when we were asking, have you done your homework? And they've got one laptop in the house. And you yeah. realize that one laptop in the house was mum and dad's laptop for work. Mm. And you assume, oh, everybody's got a laptop. Everybody's got the internet. Every child's got that. And you have those, you know, some of those newspapers go all about how much technology certain children have. No, they don't. Yeah. That's a fallacy. There is a massive digital divide. Yeah. I think it all became very complicated anyway, didn't it? I mean, around Microsoft Teams is not a... Uh, user-friendly, child-friendly no. piece of software, um, and I'm amazed. You know, um, I mean, there's not to kind of go too much off off, off tangent here, but there's an incredible story this week um, that um, the Byline Times put together about the money wasted through kind of the PPE um, uh, system. Kind of, it just amazes me that that money wasn't spent at all on technology for students and someone developing an app that students could quickly kind of jump on. And, and, and use um, but um, point point five which I think is an interesting one uh, again think about confidence and capital and everything else is around developing of communication skills um, to help express ideas both verbally and through uh, written written work again we think think about kind of what's going on in schools and budgets drama these expressive yeah. um, the art subjects, the, the art subjects seems to be the ones that kind of take the first hit, um, and in some schools, obviously, they don't have access to that at all. Yeah. Um, and then students, I mean, my both my daughters go to a drama club on the Saturday afternoons. So they're very kind of. But that's on you. But that's on me. That's your cultural yeah. capital. If you weren't who you are, yeah. 
your children wouldn't get that chance. My, my daughter are getting like a double hit. They're getting drama in school and an excellent provision from their secondary school and primary school and then a top-up. So they're getting a massive, a massive boost, which again is not the real the point, is it? The point is, is that there shouldn't be that. It should be universal. Yeah, it should be a universal, yeah. yeah. It should be a universal skill that we're saying that this is what students need. And again, I just want to make the point as a business and a teacher, this is where I kind of get concerned because I'm thinking there is a business case here for the, um, not the kind of the wokey lefties to kind mm. of get involved, but actually the people in the city, the people, the hard face of business crying to the Department of Education and saying, well, where is this? This yeah. is this is what is required. I'm reading here, not from an educational uh, blog, I'm, I'm, I'm reading here from a business recruitment which yeah, blah, blah. This is what they. This is what they're saying. They need from us. Let's take it back then to my, my starting point of education's original function yeah. well, during the industrial revolution. So imagine you know Isambard from Brunel. Imagine Titus Salt and Saul Terra saying, "I don't have a workforce." Imagine Henry Ford mm. opened a factory with people not able to panel beat, not able to work on the conveyor belt. What would he have done? Yeah. He probably ironically would have set up his own school. Yeah. That's what a lot of industrialists actually did, yeah, didn't yeah. they? They set up the and some of the more benevolent ones set up these industrial schools with the yeah. purpose of actually educating the workforce because an educated workforce was going to produce more and actually make more profits, pay more taxes, and that's the benefit of the whole of society. Yeah. If you have a workforce that's not educated, not skilled enough, you have two options. One, you can import those skills. Yeah. And here we see this week one of their news stories is Rishi Sunak doesn't want foreign students coming over who massively bring new ideas, mm. new culture, and new new technology into the country. So no, we want to pull up the drawbridge and don't let foreign students in, which is an absolute shot in the foot, mm. if you ask me. For not just financially, but that's worth billions to the economy. Yeah. That was one of our news items. Yeah. But then you have the scenario of, well, that means you're going to train our own. Well, as we've seen over the last generation, that's not happening. I'll give you one example. Careers education has absolutely died a death. Careers education was always you could give children an opportunity to do work experience. And now it's up to individuals privately to do work experience. I did two work experiences at 6, 15 and at 17, and they actually helped shape the decisions I made later on in life. My first work experience was in a school. My second work experience was in a solicitor's office. One refused me with a job I might want to do, the other one put me off. <laughs> <laughs> like I let you figure out which one was which, but that's the thing. I was given two weeks of work experience where I literally had to figure out what the real world of work was like. It actually made me come back in and focus my attitude. And that's the thing. We, there's no new investment in that any longer. Where's the careers advice service? That's been cut. Where's the funding for get sending children out to do work experience? That's been cut. But a lot of schools are under exam pressure that much. Can they afford to have children out for a week or two doing work experience? So everything doesn't seem to be working towards actually helping, not just employers who are screaming at us saying, these children don't have life skills, the same way that I'm saying they can't hold a shovel. Prince Charles got involved in this one recently, didn't he? And there was, um, he said, we need welders of the future. We still need people with old style skills. Yeah. And he was lamenting, wasn't he? We don't have tanners, we don't have welders, we don't have, and you think these are the, some of these jobs actually, will they be eternal? And your society needs them. I mean, if a society doesn't have them, then you, you're yeah, left with yeah. one other option. I mean, Bring people in, and you won't like that. And yeah. I, mean, I picked this up from um, Alexis Sales' podcast uh, the other week, and he was talking about someone that had been maybe mid-80s, 
there was these kind of centers set up um, that you could do really specific skills. Like I think there was there was an arts school yes. and there was a kind of yeah. that the, there were centers that do this. Um, it was all weighty, yes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, those types of things. So it has happened in the past. That's what I mean. We mm. have. It's not. It's not like we have to re- reinvent the wheel here. We just need to kind of go back to it to a. We again look at these skills. Really, kind of digest kind of what what students need, what teachers want to do, and what the business wants to do, and tie and tie all this together. It's like a Venn diagram yeah. that seems easy to put together, doesn't it? But schools currently are kind of way off. They're like uh, they're like miles away from this kind of because we're these... following the Govian agenda, and if we don't all stick them in and beat this with a big stick, yeah, and you know, and now I've I've cur- changed all my curriculum to be knowledge, 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 knowledge. The kids are overloaded. Yeah. I'm looking at the children who do 11 GCSEs, two R exam papers, yeah. and they're saying to me, you've got your exam technique, science has got theirs, English has got theirs, RE's got theirs, DT's got theirs, and they're looking at me going like, how much actual information they have to remember, it's, it's unbelievable, yeah. we are overloading them, and then we're going, oh, these kids these days, and you think, they need to know less than I knew, because I needed to know it, because this, me finding the information out was, was more difficult, therefore I held on to it a lot more. They don't need to know. They can find it out. It's more about what they do with it. And yeah. yet, we've done away with coursework. Coursework would be perfect for fostering independence and creativity. Mm. No, that's gone. So I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of the changes that were made, as that young, young girl was saying, yeah. is that she doesn't need the quadratic equation, rote learning. I, you can see, in fact, she proved the point. I'll tell you what she proved, is that herself what she was able to do there that confidence all that thing that young young girl stood up in there her taught in maths had nothing to do with that it was her abilities that were more there her, her soft skills mm. that were more important and the problem is those soft skills are so overlooked because the important thing is the results the yeah. important thing is the league tables the important thing is have you ticked the box and it's just it's it's grinding me down as an educator because What's the function of me as an educator? It's to pass on my wisdom like some little Yoda to the next Luke Skywalker, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the thing. What are our teachers but people who pass on wisdom, skills? I think we've lost that. I think we've become factoried. Yeah. Ironically, in a post-industrial world, our education has become more industrial. Yeah, I mean, there's all those kind of pictures and they're like, you can, there's memes every so often where it shows a picture of a kind of Victorian, you know, tailors or whatever and the school classroom and how we kind of got them all kind of uh, laid up so yeah I mean it's really interesting I mean I kind of think about kind of my own daughters kind of how they communicate now it's largely through kind of text and uh, voice message that they find it very challenging to uh, make a phone call very very challenging um in fact we were um, pulling teeth is yeah it? On, on the way back from the train station on uh, Wednesday night I called the landline and uh, you know that had to be explained in the first instance. What's the what's the landline? Because uh, I couldn't get through to any of them because they're all on kind of YouTube and whatever. Um, it then went through to kept going through to voicemail. So, but I managed to get through to my daughter through WhatsApp. <laughs> so complicated. Just just say I'm coming home, and I said, "Can I? Um, can you just make sure the landline's put on the hook because it keeps going to uh, the answering machine?" And um, I had to explain what a landline was. What the phone was, how to click it in, and what what you know all the, all these different things to eventually kind of get 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 a phone call. Um, it just just wasn't worth it. I could I should have just done a text because that's ultimately kind of what they want. They want a very short instant hit, instant hit yeah. of, of a message and and all this kind of setup. Um, so again, thinking you know, 
uh, what, what, what are we t what are we teaching sometimes? I mean, it's, again, just to read from the forks, I think it's really important. This eff effective communication skills help students learn and work effectively uh, in groups as well. Uh, and I think that's another thing about um, you know, linking it to kind of you know mental health and uh, also how you see yourself. Um, you know, sometimes students might end up you know in their first place of work or on the first work experience you said, or on an apprenticeship. And actually, have no idea how to communicate with yeah. other people. And um, you know, we we go through this a lot in schools. Uh, and I've just gone through it because I'm doing a unit on customer service at the moment. And when I ask students uh, what they think communication is, they say, "What well, talking to people, going up to people?" Absolutely not. It's the it's the, it's the listening. It's the uh, body language. Tone. The, the non-verbal communication. That's right. Yeah. The tone of the language. Tone, yeah. The words used. Appropriate language. Yeah. Articulation. Yeah. Vocabulary. Yeah. How do you want your message to come across? You know. The, I mean, it, it's it's so nuanced, and it's just not taught. I mean, this is I'm delivering this to year 13. So this is the first time um, doing it, and they've never kind of it's never come up, never come across it before. Um, and actually, the, the, they were saying, "Oh, thanks for that," because I can take that to my job. I can take that to my. But then you're probably thinking to yourself, "You probably." giving them a bit of a head start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because part of the thing is, is therefore, they wouldn't have known this and nobody's pulled them to one side. Yeah. But you didn't have to do that. Did you really? Did you Did you do it because you felt this is the right thing to do? Or well, well, what I've done is, I mean, just to kind of, just to kind of fill you in a little bit, I've, I've kind of made, I've made a choice, um, you know, within my own career, A, to, to, to seek this, the opportunity that I've got at the minute. So there's two things that have enabled me to, um, do what I'm doing at the minute is one is unfortunately move out of the um, you know basic state education system really mm. and I currently work for a UTC and the reason I work there is what's is, a UTC? it's the Universal Technical College mm. um, so there's a, there's a few um, obviously you know, there's obviously one in Birmingham where I work but there's one in uh, Derby as well um, that, that they do kind of um, there's a, there's a few kind of scattered around the country. Uh, maybe we can do like a, like a wider show on UTCs yeah. and, and different school structures. Um, but what it enables me to do is um, contextualise everything. And we have huge links to industry. Um, and um, you know, part of my um, job... Obviously, the one, if, the one if, Derby if, if, connected to the industrial complexes there. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. So part, part of um, my... First thing I got from a lot of other staff as well. My family, are you on a jolly today? No, I'm not on a jolly. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously working hard. I think this all pictures of the buffet and stuff that I put on Twitter. It was a very nice, very nice buffet. And I, you know, I thank um, the Young Enterprise <laughs> team for putting together an absolutely wonderful buffet. Um, I left my uh, my sister in law said to me as I was left the house, left their house. You know, do you want to take some fruit? I said, I've just got something. I think I'll be all right today. They, they, I think they'll put on a bit of a spread. And my God, when I got there, there was granola, there was chocolate. Hold on hands. a second. So this is where the money in education is going. This, 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 is, this is why I've got no glue sticks. That's why you've got no glue sticks, yeah. Um, so, and, um, but um, right there, as soon as I walk through the door, I'm hit with HSBC, NatWest. And what I was able to do during the day is book sessions with them so they can come into school. Now, I'm in a very unique position because I basically have a Wednesday afternoon where I can largely dictate this stuff into the curriculum. Mm. Um, I wasn't able to do that at my previous place because 
I was teaching, you know, 420 students. Um, And I'm not criticising necessarily that model, but that just wasn't for me. Um, I I wanted to make a a, a career choice to do this. And so far, this school's allowed me to to do that. However, I know I know that I'm unique. Unless someone can kind of you know come in and say that you are a similar place, it'd be it'd be good to know kind of what other people's experiences are. Um, but that Wednesday afternoon, I can say we are going to do a workshop with um, you know NatWest, HSBC, HMRC, um, which um, you know would come into schools and teach that kind of uh, literacy. The funny um, thing is, when I was a PHSE coordinator a long time ago, financial capability was a core element of the PHSE curriculum, and it had to be in the maths curriculum. But that died a death. That, that was 50% of, they made financial capability a major thing in the previous curriculum. Yeah. And it just disappeared. And you think to yourself, and again, the, the youth parliamentarian there did mention doesn't know anything about VAT, doesn't know anything about tax. Mm-hmm. When I come to teach, for instance, the, the Wall Street crash or the Great Depression, yeah. I pretty much have to do an economics lesson. The amount of times I have to do an economics lesson in both either geography or history, it, it, it's, it's unreal. And then I think to myself, hold on a second, there's a whole department there that has 50% of the curriculum called mathematics. And I'm not having a go at maths teachers, I think they're amazing and I think their, their subject is difficult. Surely, by now, they would have realised that financial capability should be a core element of mathematics. Because I don't go to a shop and say, I could have three, 3x plus 2y equals 2z as change. I walk into a shop and say, how much money have I got in my pocket? And I think a lot of our problems as a country when it comes to budgeting, and, and, and it's been said so many times, but yet there's been no response from government about functional literacy. Mm. I mean, seriously, I mean, we used to have pay loans companies who used to advertise and market it with really young marketing and, it, and I remember, you remember the puppets, and those companies went bust, but eventually they were driven out of the market. But for years, they targeted young people, yeah. because young people didn't know that 3,000% actually meant how much money they would be paying back. And they preyed upon the yeah. financial illiteracy of a lot of children, mm. who in one way are highly intelligent, but in another way have no idea about interest rates, mortgages, debt. And that's the problem is, again, there is a massive gap between the reality of the real world out there and the reality of our children, of what we're educating in school. There is a massive difference between life skills and, and, and competencies and life competency. And I think especially for some children with SEN needs, you, you know, when we talk about independence with children with SEN needs, they really need to know more than most. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they need more support. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet you look at what, what we're trying to do in school. There's not a curriculum there that actually helps some children when it comes to functionality. Yeah. And again, we are sending these children out into a world that isn't very kind to them. And it is very competitive. Yeah. And some have advantages. It does have that Darwinian... The, the nasty side of yeah. the Darwinian, and you know, and I, I can see it from a kind of a, 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 you know a cold business you know sense. These are costs, and does that business have the time, the resources, the finances to develop you know more vulnerable students? And that's why I end up they getting lost. Um, the Phantom Salad Dodgers uh, been on, which is great. Thank you for getting in touch, saying let kids choose to drop certain subjects and bring in more common sense lessons. Um, and he's talking about kind of life skills, um, he's put sewing buttons, changing fuses, um, 
toilet systems. Well, right. forget about changing fuses. I don't think I'll be able to change a toilet system. I was doing a physics lesson, <laughs> physics lesson the other day, and one of the things that my, my kids have suggested is why, as a non-specialist, I've been able to communicate what it is, is that literally I was talking about a 13-amp fuse. I literally got I, I, I got a utensil out, got, took the fuse, yeah. there and then, in front yeah, of them, yeah. took the fuse out in front of them and says, that's a 13-amp fuse. That, that blows, it's a safety device. And literally, they did not know what fuses take watch. They didn't know what a 13-amp fuse was at age 14. Yeah. I think to myself, well, gosh, I knew what a 13-amp fuse was at 14. Because my, my dad would have sent me to the shop and said, son, go down and buy 13-amp fuses. <laughs> I would even, you know, but that's... Um, and, and when they start a conversation, oh, they go in the car. She has the one that goes in the car. Yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, these children have never seen... Some of them have never seen a fuse in their life. And then, of course, I went off on a tangent because I tend to go off on a tangent sometimes. And I says, okay, do you know that the inner workings of a plug? So guess what? Not a chance that they know the inner workings. So then it leads me at fourteen years old. Yeah. If they're if, if they're at home alone at fourteen and something happens with a fuse, that's actually a safety issue. Yeah. And there, there's instances of some young people wrapping, and I did Google this, wrapping tinfoil around the fuse to create a breaker. And 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 you think that's actually a fire risk. People do that, and you think this is actually a safety issue. Sometimes. And that was me teaching a physics lesson where, where I was talking about a fuse, and the children didn't know anything about a fuse. Or what if, but what did I assume? That they'd have some functional, at least basic knowledge. Half the students there had never seen a plug before, and from their point of view, the plug is wired, the plug is there, they wouldn't know what to do and how to rewire a plug. I think myself, my, my, my parents weren't health and safety conscious, but I would have been, I would have been messing around with a plug when I was 12, 11 or 12 years old. <laughs> you know, trying to get the butter knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to open a plug without using the screwdriver, yeah. without destroying the, you know, there's certain art forms yeah. of things that you have to do. I, I will give a safety note here. Don't start sticking <laughs> teaching utensils into uh, into devices. No, I'm still here, all right. So, yeah. I mean, it is a question. I'll just throw this one out there. Are you allowed a toaster in your staff room? There are two toasters in our staff room. I made sure there were two toasters in the staff room, and uh, they're all pack tested. But that's the other thing. Yeah. I made sure there were and two microwaves, and I made sure they were pack tested as well. So no, I always make things make make sure things are pack tested because yeah. that's important. Yeah. Right. Thank you for that, uh, Phantom Solid Dodger. And if anyone else would like to get in touch, uh, we'd love someone to call in. We just want to kind of test it out really <laughs> more than anything and also you know it's one of those things isn't it we just like to know that we're just not uh, talking to ourselves here which is good fun and we enjoy it but uh, yeah it'd be great to hear from the wider um, teacher public um, that leads on to team working um, you know big big vitally uh, particularly um, think about the kind of global um, economy uh, collaborative learning mm -hmm. with people kind of over in different time zones uh, different places all over the world. Um, you're know, having these uh, team working, team building uh, skills is vital. Again, if I'm perfectly honest, do I have a lot of time to do this? We do a kind of think pair share task every so often, but that is that team. Is that team? Is that really what that is? Do or I have time to do group work? Yeah. No, I don't yeah. because I'm too busy teaching knowledge. And with 30 children, about teamwork, we, we did this 10 years ago. We used to have um, two lessons called Discovery and Explore, yeah. where we had a non-curriculum sort of lessons about exploring, learning. And it was all a rage back then. And and we had the freedom to do it. And we, we, we put the kids in projects and we'd give them like, you know, design your own this, design your own that. I'd put them in teams. And the teacher was to be facilitating, not teaching. But the children didn't, the children didn't really respond to it because for 23 periods a week, they were getting one way 
two periods a week they were getting completely different. And the problem they kept asking us was, what result am I getting? What's the end product? They wanted to know what level they were working at because they're so conditioned now to go, tell me the result, tell me the level. And it really failed because if you're going to do that, you have to embrace that all the time. Because otherwise, the children are just used to where they're taught and the way they're taught is product now. It's end result. What's the grade? What's the grade? What's the grade? Am I doing well? And if you try and say, you're just learning for the sake of learning, unfortunately, sometimes and they don't want to see the value of it because everything now has to be quantified. And I think that is the biggest problem with our education system is I was taught in primary school for the sake of learning. I just loved learning because I was taught by primary school teachers who just taught me what they liked to teach me about nature, about life, um, my identity, culture, music. They were free to do so. And I think the problem with our curriculum is it's too prescriptive. It's not enough freedom. And I, I think that leaves a lot of teachers. If you think about what I like, I like autonomy. I like to be knowing what I'm doing is making a difference. The problem is we are so, so now just basically league table. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and I think that's stifling creativity in the classroom. Yeah, I, I think trying to, the, the issue is then, is trying to maybe think about methods that these can be quantified because to make change, you've got to first work within the paradigm that you're in. So if the system is to quantify everything, is some of the answer to these things, how do you quantify these skills just to start that ball rolling? I mean, there's two things. Is that possible? And secondly, how do you do it? Well, here's, the, here's my conundrum. I can produce well-rounded, fantastic, confident young people, but I'm judging exam results. Mm -hmm. And here's my conundrum. Somebody will call me an inferior teacher because the league tables will say so. But those mm -hmm. children themselves will come up to me and say to me, thank you for the education yeah. I've received them. And I, you know what? I'm going to say it. I don't care who's listening. I would rather take those children, setting them up for life, and me taking a hit on my exam results. Yeah. Problem is we're under a lot of pressure these days as teachers yeah. to get exam results at all costs. That links into mental health. I would not break children to get exam results and I think too often we are as educators caught between the really difficult place of trying to broadly educate our children as best we can with all the skills that we want to give them and imbue them with a love of learning while also being shackled by exams which are in unfit for purpose, not actually healthy to the children but that's the system we've got and, and it's really a difficult and that's what's driving a lot of people out of the teaching profession because we I didn't go into the teaching profession to see children cry of a two-hour exam that they just can't access yeah. not because they're an inferior child they're not because what they're being asked to do is not actually fit for purpose they're not the problem our children the way we have set up that exam system the way we measure them and the way that we write them off and unfortunately it's the rescuing factors i'd like to think i'm a rescuing factor that i am actually trying to save those children from that that i can say because i have a children recently said to me i've done bad sir i've let you down my response to them is, you haven't let yeah. me down. You won't let me down. In the same way that when I feel my 11 plus 11 years old, I may have been a failure then. Fine, I was made to feel like a failure. I got myself back up again. My parents got me back on the horse. And literally, they overrode that. And too often in education, I think there's too much natural wastage where kids are just chucked on the wayside because they're made to feel inferior. And that's the problem we have big time. There's far too many people go throughout school with so and here's another issue that happens it becomes generational if those people have had such a bad experience in school how do they value education themselves yeah. a lot of parents sometimes are the 
an issue with their children of they don't value education because they in turn didn't have a great experience and because they didn't have a great experience they don't have the same value set or understand what education could and equally that's sometimes what's happened sometimes at parents and parents even they're quick to judge us teachers now and i've often said this i'm a better teacher now than the, a lot of the people who taught me here because i have to be but unfortunately there are still those stereotypes of you know the guys that leave at three fifteen. You know, mm. you know that time, oh, you're in it for the holidays. Yeah. You leave at three fifteen. Have a nice lunch for I don't think I'll be honest with you. The people left in education now, the vast majority of them are working oh. harder than any oh, yeah. generation of teachers have well, ever done. Well, the data on um, when this whole you, you, you mentioned the um, the Jeremy Hunt, Richie Sunak, um, CBI uh, clash uh, earlier on the week, and obviously the, the main focus was uh, and rightly so around kind of social care and um, hospitality were the two driving um, port, uh, concerns on that report. If you looked a little bit further down the graph, um, I noticed from Newsnight on Tuesday night, that was if you want to catch it up, is that there are 80,000 vacancies in teaching as of today. 80,000? Um, yeah, that, that kind of really blew my mind, really. And uh, my brother is a, a HR director. I kind of said... You know, what would you expect there to be in teaching? You know, something that's kind of a well-known society as a job. What uh, it's um, you know, it's something you people, people aspire, don't want those holidays. Well, people aspire. <laughs> people aspire to be. There's yeah. there's generally a notion in society that this is a you know, teachers have a fair, number, a fairly good package, shall we shall we say, with the job. Yeah, um, that so, grinds me down. That but, does. Yeah, yeah, but it does. Even even with all that is that there is 80,000 jobs and and maybe it's linked to this maybe it's linked to this well you know I see the world like this and I've gone for that experience in schools I've looked at the PGC and I just don't recognise it as a 20 20 20, 22 year old coming out of university maybe you're looking at that curriculum now Mm. and and going what's this this doesn't represent no. the, the world that I've just come through. And I've had some experience maybe within a, in a company, in an organisation. And maybe I really kind of um, want to have this vocation. I really have a desire to give something back. I really want to be a teacher. But again, I'm looking at the system. I'm looking at what students do. I'm thinking, what is this? I don't, I don't really kind of understand what this is. But I definitely have had that parents' evening with, you know, the straight away. When are we going to know this? When When's our child ever going to... Uh, you know, use this, use this. We have that. You have that a lot. You, you do, and, it, and it's really hard to kind of justify. Sometimes I'm there saying, "Well, this was the test. This is what they did. This is where they went wrong." And immediately they say, "Well, what is?" I'm I mean, I, for businesses. I met a lot with um, self-made entrepreneurs, and they say, "Well, what, what is this?" And I because they have done it. Them, but that's the thing. Yeah. And, you, you, and I think a lot of the the current government are a bit like that. They they are ladder pullers in my sense. They they have done well for themselves. And mm. Some of them have done well for themselves because they had a lot of advantages. Sometimes it is because people have done well for themselves because it's luck, mm. or sometimes it's right place, right time. And I'm a big firm believer in making your own luck and being yeah. proactive. And you said motivation. For me, hunger, fight, desire. I use the word not just motivation. I use fight. I want my children to have fight in them. I want them to like that young lady who spoke in Parliament. I want them to have that passion, the fight, the flair, the, the kind of the, the, those hidden qualities. It's, 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 it's almost equate my job to being a football manager. You know, what player do I want playing on my football team? Some Somebody with a lot of talent. Yeah, 
but somebody who's going to train every day, somebody who's going to be humble, somebody who's going to work well with others, it's exactly the same. And a lot of our children, it's not there, it's anything wrong with them, they're just not being developed. They're not being pushed in the right directions because everything is about the end product, about the end results. And unless they measure up to those results, there's a huge amount of expectation of some of our children. And they are suffering, mentally they are suffering, because it's a, it's a, they have to, because some parents, and I don't blame the parent because the parent just wants the best for their child, but they're so pushing these children beyond, you must get your exam results, because they know the world is difficult out there, they know the Darwinian thing, they know how difficult it was for themselves, and they're trying to pass on that, that resilience, but you, you, resilience has to be earned as well, people have to learn to sometimes fail, which means parents have to sometimes say, my child didn't do well this time. Everybody's looking for a reason for it. You know, it's like the child doesn't do well. It's the school's fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the parents' fault. It just may not be the right time. It wasn't the right time for me when I was 10 years old. It was definitely the right time for me when I was 16 years old. We aren't allowing students to develop. We are becoming far too judgmental. Far too judgmental. And these are children we're talking about. And I think that's not fair. I think it's not fair on the children because the system now is just all about the end product. It's all about the result. It's not about the journey. A child's education should be a journey from four to 22, 23 years old. Yeah. And it's not any longer because if you take that child's journey, there's no consistency across the range or there's no standardization. It is up to the parents and the child to navigate an education system, which is an absolute minefield. And it's difficult for parents to know what is best for their child when it constantly keeps changing. I think that's the problem with the UK system. It's too political education because it's constantly being messed around with. Countries that do well in education have got set education systems. They know what they're doing. The parents know what they're doing. The child knows what they're doing. They know what they're doing 10 years in advance. Whereas we're like, oh, oh, new exam system, new way of doing things, we'll have to train you up. We're almost sometimes you know, constantly experimenting and moving around. And I think that's unfortunate. And, and even now, we're trying to go, We've made a mistake of sending far too many children to certain universities. Now we need people with more skills. So we're now going to go back the other way. Now that's got to filter down to schools. And then that's got to be, okay, that's going to take a couple of years to embed. We're just constantly shifting around because people keep changing their mind. We need to decide, like they did during the Industrial Revolution, what is the purpose of our education system? Where are young people for the world out there? Not just the world at work, but the world out there and the world of the future, which is what our topic's about. Yeah. the world of the future yeah. and at the moment i think we're living too much in the past and too much about what the world used to be and i think the comp competitor nations and nations that are ahead of the uk and in, in, in educational details don't necessarily send their children to school more often yeah here's, here's, a, here's a strange question then obviously we're talking here and we're talking about um you know we're, we're, we're thinking about this now do you think that a a lot of teachers are thinking like us and B would they have the skill set to deliver this change I think teachers are able to because as I saw during COVID yeah. I saw all of us all go on teams all of a sudden I was never as proud of my profession as my profession during COVID yeah. and how we resiliently stepped up got in there and did our best mm -hmm. and despite the back, lack of advice the lack of help the lack of money I think we jury rigged a system to do our best mm -hmm. under those circumstances. I think that's why a lot of us are angry now that we're sick and sore and tired of patching things up. Mm. 
and we don't have the resources, we don't have the support, we don't have the ideological backup, and we don't even get a thank you for it. And that's where I, where I feel at the moment is like, why am I busting a gut and putting my life force into an education system that just basically works against what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to do Carol Dweck. I'm trying to change children's outcomes. I'm trying to enthuse them and motivate them. I'm trying to override the industrialization. And yet what I'm getting from children is that it doesn't matter because certain parts of society have written them off. Mm. And, I, and I think that's the shocking thing. I'm a working class lad myself who grew up in poverty, during an, a war situation, but my school facilities were a lot better than what I've been teaching in, in the last 20 years. And I think that is absolutely shocking that the British education system is not what it should be. The fifth or sixth wealthiest country in the world should have the fifth or sixth best, best education system in the world, and it doesn't. And they can blame everything they want, but it has to be a root and branch, almost a real deep, deep look at why we are not preparing our young people properly because we are trying to treat them like they are data and product instead of treating them like young people and i am tired of the media portrayal of young people the snowflake generation the way that we round upon them the way they're talked down to if i was a young person right now i wouldn't say that my motivation would be very very high you're more likely to get a news story about young people doing this negatively. When have you ever seen some positive news stories about young people doing fantastic? Like that young girl standing up in mm. Parliament. Fantastic. They're trying to stop young people voting with voter ID. Mm. They can't get on the property market. I am so with them. I think their generation is getting what? They, they get, they're getting climate change and they have done nothing to contribute it towards mm -hmm. it. And then when one or two of them try and well, do a school strike, they're, they're then told, what's wrong with you? Get with the programme. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, maybe the numbers aren't right with young people. My generation is more numbers. Mm. The baby boom generation, I think a lot of the baby boom generation have forgotten who they are. Mm. I think they've forgotten the education they got for free. Yeah. They got to go to university for free, and they got to choose whatever degree they wanted, whether it was golf, golf course studies or Klingon, whatever it was <laughs> back in the old 80s and 90s. They got free university education. Our children now don't get any of that. They don't get any of that. They have to pay, pay, pay. And I think, unfortunately, until we sort of say that we prioritise our young people, we have to then say that at the end of the day, they are having to cope with a world that is not helping them as much as the world helped the previous generation. Yeah, brilliant. So I just want to go through a few points. I'm going to go back to the um, OECD report in a second to think about kind of some solutions. Um, but I'm sure we agree with some of these anyway. Just organisation, uh, research... Uh, technology, I think we've already talked about mm -hmm. determination yeah. and and leadership. So, I've, so I fully um, uh, agree with that. And I've, I've tweeted that up on our um, uh, my, my Twitter account, but shared it with uh, the the guys at Teacher uh, Talk Radio as well. What would your three be if you had to say your three? My three, I think, would be um, communication, which I've already mentioned, uh, problem, uh, problem solving, and critical thinking. I think with those three. I think you can be very adaptable, and then then if you bring in that allows you to be flexible uh, with within that market. But um, um, critical thinking for me, I mean, it says here it helps develop new ideas and innovations, and I think that's what we need at the minute. We, we, we're just stuck. We kind of almost like society knows all the problems, but it has no way of finding solutions. Procrastinating. We're procrastinating. We're stuck in a paradigm. Yeah. We can't make that big shift for whatever reason, either through, either because of vested interest or people not wanting to, people feeling scared. 
people look to each other. I think everybody's looking yeah, to each other. And, and, and I think the thing we've learned during like, the last couple of years is if we're looking for the people in charge to help us, yeah. you're going to be waiting a very yeah, long yeah. time. And this is why I get so frustrated with um, um, characters like Elon Musk. Uh, because I think certain, certain parts of him has been brilliant. You know, the, his initial... Um, um, innovations in payment systems were inventions really in kind of technology and payment systems and then kind of what he did to the car in terms of getting people to think a bit differently about, about kind of car technology it's just a shame that he's got locked up in the minute with this kind of uh, Twitter um, you know he, and his own ego around Twitter and stuff because I, I just think kind of those types of people would be great innovators uh, in society I would like to see him actually imagine yeah. if he was like the industrial revolutionists of the 19th century set up those schools they yeah. tried to salt and, and, and yeah, yeah. Brunels and people like that what would he it's interesting if you got people like that to actually come down a level and say okay what do young people need to do yeah. to innovate and, and given his due I don't always like him as a person but I have to say his, he is successful because he's taken risks he's motivated yeah, yeah. he's determined he and that's the that's the thing about it. I mean, I have my top three there. It's interesting; they're different to yours. Okay, motivation. Yeah. I always start with the locus of motivation. It's my key factor. You've got to want to do it. Forcing people to learn is not sustainable. Yeah. Wanting to learn has to be. I've always gone for that. For me, it's the intrinsic and extrinsic. It's always influenced yeah, my thing. I, I was thinking that motivation would come if the system was set up to sh- to show you that pathway. I still think you can have motivated people in a bad system okay. who yeah. want to change the system. And I, and I suppose determination and motivation go hand in hand with me because you've got to have that resilience and stoicism and determination to fail more than succeed. It's that kind of, I fail more than I yeah, succeed. Yeah, got to, yeah. I've got to go to 10 job interviews to get that one interview yeah. to then, you know, whereas I think a lot of our children fail. And yes, I'd agree with your critical thinking because critical thinking is that ability to, to have ideas, to think outside the box, to be risk takers and, and that's I always it's Machiavelli goes back to my favourite political philosopher mm-hmm. Machiavelli fortune favours the brave the people that go and take the initiative take the opportunities the key thing is you don't want those people to become the decision makers because what's happened is many of those individuals who have become self-made have pretty much said I can do it you can do it and I think they've become ladder pullers because I think they have not reflected on some of the chances they took actually weren't as much of a chance that they think they are. I think people look back and reflect on themselves and maybe are the heroes of their own story. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's the ego bit, isn't it? It's, it's it really, is. Yeah. And I think we've had too many people who are like, you know, they tell you their story of adversity, their Rocky yeah. Balboa story, you know what I mean? Their rags oh, to riches story. Yeah. And I think that's true. And I think our um, our, 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 our cultural capital, our, our, what was it, what they called, the levelling up czar for education, oh, yeah. Yeah. just a good example of that, you know, who talks about you know, trying to get people out of out of poverty through education, but it's got to be universal. It can't be one or two individuals who've been able to beat the system. Yeah. We're talking about the whole of society. Otherwise, what's the point? Because it, there's no point in having a couple of very motivated individuals at the top and a whole society of people who don't see the value of things or aren't educated. Because in countrywise, it's called national efficiency. I draw a parallel to the likes of the liberal reforms of the 19th century. One of the reasons the liberal reforms came in is because the government realised that against the Germans, the British army wasn't strong enough. Mm. So the country couldn't defend itself. 
So they brought in liberal reforms in order to fatten us up, yeah, yeah. so that we could go to war. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like a shock, wasn't it? The generals for the first time seeing what the, the war, war. Yeah, 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 with war, war, they, yeah. they, they couldn't pass the men off the board yeah, war, and they realised, hold on a second, unless we unless we increase the efficiency of our workers, unless our workers are healthier, they will be left behind. So again, it's it's again, why did Ford do that? Why did Ford look after his workers? Why did Bourneville look after the workers? There was an ulterior motive, and the ulterior motive was, as we we went back full loop, was. It's in society's interest to have an educated young workforce. I think people need to stop this, stop beating up the younger generation and help them get off the fence and actually stop criticising them and actually help them because what's going to happen when these young people can't get jobs? Well, in the tax base, here's here's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We don't have young people in employment. Then our retirement age for people who want to retire won't be there because we'll have to keep paying taxes for people who are unemployable. And the whole country then goes down the pan because you don't have a generation of people capable of entering the labour market. Yeah. I mean, this is this is unsustainable. This is the, this is the folly of it. How important is the education system? It's of the vitalist national importance. It is literally the future. Because if you don't have a motivated, determined, stoic, evolving workforce whose ability to learn is faster, I look at the back streets of India. There are children out there in the back streets of India building their own computers. Mm. There, there are children across. This is the problem, I think, of arrogance and hubris, mm. exceptionalism. I think people now just assume that things are going to be handed to this country. There's other countries now. Estonia. Yeah. Estonia is better education system on paper than the British education yeah. system. That should have been a lightning bolt that should have shook the establishment into what are we doing here? Yeah. And so far, I don't think how much powerful we are economically to them too. But that's to, that's to get that investment. This country will go backwards yeah. unless we have a more so decisions that's been made to, to, to not do it. I just want to bring back to we've got about five minutes left, so I just kind of just want to get kind of get to um And no disrespect to Estonia to Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah we, if uh, Estonia wants to uh, invite us to a um, more than happy to do, do, do a live show from Estonia, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. Um they, they, they talk about kind of in response to these challenge challenges. Then they they, they, they set out the the, the the steps to kind of try and fix this. They're saying so, so to give um, student agency um, that there should be a curriculum designed to motivate students. Which I think that we've, we've said to yeah. use kind of prior knowledge, actually volume, uh, rigor. Uh, that these these subjects and the curriculum should be challenging and um, enables for deep thinking and reflection. I think we can disagree with that. Uh, focus. They're saying they're saying here a very an interesting to uh, what was mentioned from uh, the Phantom Salad Dodger around um, narrowing the curriculum um, a bit more, which I think is interesting, um, into fewer topics but going to greater depth. Into, yeah. into fewer topics. Yeah. But maybe this is this is one of the things I was talking um, that really. But I think then that's a bit like we got. I have seven GCSEs to mine in. Yeah. But I'm able to teach GCSE physics now because my GCSE physics from the 1990s yeah. is probably halfway between A level. So and when GCSE. did you do yours? About 95. I did my 94. 94. I finished my GCSE. So I'm yeah. 97. So by 97, I've got 10. So you, so you, I so could so have done. Here's the thing: if I went to a grammar school, I could have done 11. Yeah. In fact, my grammar school wouldn't let me into the grammar school because they required eight GCSE passes. <laughs> I only had seven GCSEs, yeah. <laughs> so and, and therefore they took me on a six-month probationary. If I had a field, this is talk about life chances. Yeah. If I had a field one GCSE, I wouldn't have went to the grammar school. If I went to the grammar school, I wouldn't have met probably my politics and, and history teacher, who was beyond exceptional, and I would say life-changing. Mm. 
and that was that put me in a different direction. And I just when you say about marginal, I often think about certain things in life where you have those life chances. Me sitting down and my friends were all out partying and doing my GCSE studying got me the seven GCSEs. And yes, French. I somehow got French. You try and do French with an Irish accent, I'll tell you. Bonjour, ça va, ça va bien. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, it's just terrible. And and you try and get. You might say a classifier in Northern Ireland. But this is, I always do this to the kids when do a French cover lessons. Like, do you not realize that you have a, you say French, you have an East Midlands language. And you know the word for being annoyed in the East Midlands is Marty. So, it, you know, the, the word is, I'm Marty today. It's like, I am Tuesday in French. It doesn't make sense language sometimes. But they really digress. But that's what I mean. I, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if, if I hadn't have got all those GCSEs, all seven of them, that changed my life chances. So it, it does go down to that sometimes, the right place, right time. But I only had seven GCSEs. I got an eighth in European Union studies. So I've got a GCSE in EU studies. That's not so good now, is it? <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> If you want to say it, no, we're not, we're not, we're not, listen, is that a dip? we're not, how can I not, no teacher, no politician, nobody is allowed to talk about that anymore, yeah, it's, okay. it's, 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 it's done, off the list of we're, we're never allowed to, we, we can't, but I still we have to say in Europe, I can tell you who joined the European Union, yeah. what year, and, and I can tell yeah. you about the common market, so yeah, I have a, I have a specifically got a GCSE, some of my, my, my friends, they, they, uh, they, the grammar school, they, they got an extra GCSE, and some of them, actually, this is, this is relevant, they actually did a GCSE in, uh, road traffic studies, okay. which basically, get this, now, talk about what we're talking about. They took them out the moped and they started doing their driving theory. And they were like riding moped. Now, of course, a lot of the boys took it because they were it was boys, boys grammar. A lot of the boys took it because it was <laughs> they got to ride around the moped. But ironically, I go back to the whole driving test thing. They literally got, and some of those were going to get the driving test because they had dads got cars, etc., etc. But school was teaching them a functional skill. And we all joked about it. But the funny thing is, they ended up getting, you know, their driving theory through school, which now I realise that actually was a lot more valuable than I first realised at the time. I thought it was going to be a DOS around the Reading moped. I thought European Union studies would be more valuable. I'm not saying it wasn't, but it was an extra GCSE that I got, and that's the difference, isn't it? It was that was something that was um, that was something that I think was a good idea now in hindsight yeah. because that was something that was practical the boys got a GCSE in road traffic studies and they learned about the road theory so they were learning something at school that they apply and some of them were doing a driving test so it saved them money in a driving test so that's a good example of, of teaching something vocational well I think we should uh, wrap up for today yeah. um, just, just, while, just while I'm here this this uh, my computer's just flashed up the um, football scores for today and this Group E, wow! Uh, Costa Rica have just beaten Japan. Japan. So this is unbelievable. So they, they've all got three. They'll all have three points if Germany wow. can, if Germany can uh, get a result out of um, Spain tonight. Um, and I think in other breaking news, we might be coming back to uh, live next week with um, Matt Hancock being the um, jungle. No, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, no. I, th I think it's it's it, have, it's, it could be could be happening. Uh, this and is why we need to teach more democracy lessons in school. <laughs> um, so I mean, a couple of things. Yeah. Yes, we, we are obviously sponsored by Slack Group and they're a leading provider of specialist education and care. They need more people like you to achieve even more and at Slack you'll be given some resources to support your need, offered a clear path to career progression and you'll be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. Slack is currently has some fantastic career opportunities and you can find them at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. We've also got a new sponsor in John Catt 
and John Cat Publishing. And one of the great books that's going to come out on that is, is Bridget Knight's book, which, which I was hoping to have a look at. But John Gibbs is going to present about that. I'm going to speak to Bridget herself about values-based experience at school. So look out for that podcast and, and that Teacher's Talk radio um, um, presentation from John Gibb, which would be fantastic. But John Cat Education is um, in partnership and we're going to be, it's a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. So please check them out. You can visit them at johncatbookshop.com and, and plenty of good titles in there. And, and again, we'll have some guests on from John Cat Publishing and some of their publishers that basically have a go at. And that's definitely one that I, I would, I'll be chewing into. But John, when he's speaking to Bridget um, about... Uh, values and education. Uh, what else? Well, if you want to become a presenter, uh, um, become part of the Assimilated Board, which is Teachers Talk Radio, you're, you'll be added to the rest of us, um, a diverse bunch of, of volunteering and educationists across Europe, actually. And we're the only um, live radio station for teachers out there, it seems, even globally. So we're, we've gone global now. Then please uh, drop us a line and see can you join us and add to our diversity. Um, Lucy is doing a really good show, um, co-hosting on Tuesday, about what you would do if you had £50,000 in education. You're given £50,000, what would you spend it on? I've already put my, my bid in for... <laughs> Glue sticks. Yeah, glue sticks. Apparently, I'm, I put this online and one of my colleagues put up and said, you, of all people, glue sticks. I keep using another colleague's classroom and apparently um, a few glue sticks have gone missing and under my watch. Mm. So they were suggesting that maybe these, this bid for the £50,000 glue sticks was to replace the ones that have somehow gone missing on my watch. Sorry, um, you know who you are, PB. Um, okay, so last thing to say is thank you to Adam and uh, next week, hopefully, we'll, we'll be... Uh, bang on time we've just run a, a little bit over because we started a little bit late today um this has been a teacher's talk radio presentation with me brent poland and and myself adam spence and follow us on twitter i'm at uh, at uh, a spence 81 and you are at brent poland one one wow have you got one <laughs> yeah i'm the number one the only one the well, only... there is another actually he was a canadian soldier sadly who died in operation enduring freedom in afghanistan which is ironic because i am teaching about that ironically about myself and some of the kids come in and say sir sir you, you died in afghanistan I'm like really i've not been in afghanistan and apparently there was a sadly a canadian soldier with my name okay so so tune in next week and brent will tell us about the other brent uh, poland out there if the other brent poland could call in and uh, maybe that could be a yeah, well, it's, I've got such an unusual name. I can't get away with anything, actually. But that, that's just all part of part of having two two names that don't normally go together, and especially when you're a geography teacher as well as a history teacher with a name like Poland. I, am, I always find it hilarious that people think I'm connected to the country of Poland. I am not whatsoever. I am from Ireland. I'm teaching in England, and I have a name called Poland, and I teach geography and history. So that, that's probably as interesting as I'm ever going to get. Um, what I'd like to say as well is... Please catch us on Podbean, uh, Twitter Spaces. You can download us anytime and any of the other shows on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, so next time, tune in and talk it out. Thank you. Goodbye.